Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm gonna send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. Today's episode is actually part one of a two-part case study that's going to dive deep into the question that plagues so many that are trying to land their dream job in scripted entertainment. To assist or not to assist, that is the question. Now, in part one, I explore the assistant route, and then in part two of this case study, I explore the editing route. So after you're done listening to this episode, I highly encourage you to continue listening into part two so you can then hear both opposing sides of this discussion. In part one of this case study, I chat with Chris Cavanaugh, who's a television and film editor who specializes in long-form, unscripted storytelling. He has worked on numerous shows in the docuseries, true crime, and the reality spaces, and two years ago, he moved from New York City to Los Angeles to make the terrifying transition from unscripted to scripted. Now, despite having an extensive resume of popular shows for a bunch of top networks, Chris found it incredibly difficult to make the transition from unscripted to scripted because most people in Hollywood unfairly believe that people who do unscripted, they just can't do scripted. Oh, don't get me started. After working with Chris for 12 weeks in my one-on-one career coaching and mentorship program, Chris has now officially made the transition into scripted work. He even landed the gig as my assistant editor on Cobra Kai, and he's now moving onto one of the editorial teams for the show Star Trek Discovery. Listen, there is no set path that we can follow to success in the Hollywood entertainment industry, but it is possible to design your own unique path if you know the right questions to ask and the right steps to follow. My purpose for sharing this case study with you is to demonstrate how Chris designed his own path so you can then apply what you learned in this interview to your own journey. All right, without further ado, my case study with editor Chris Cavanaugh. I'm here today with Chris Cavanaugh, who's a film and television editor, also currently an assistant editor working in scripted, and as a side note, 
was my assistant editor on Cobra Kai season two. So Chris, it is a pleasure to finally get this conversation on the record. So thanks for coming in so early in the morning today, especially since you have kids. So I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. And as somebody who's listened to a lot of your podcasts, it's mind bending to be on the other side of one. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. Well, you definitely earned it and then some. That is not a, an understatement. You definitely earned your way onto the podcast. And that's partly what I want to talk about today. But what I really want to talk about in our conversation may veer in several different directions. But you and I work together in uh, both the introductory coaching program that I do the first 12 weeks, and you're now in my advanced networking group where there's a group of people in the post-production industry, and we're all working together to advance your goals, whether it's you want to work in scripted as an editor, or you want to work in features, whatever it is, we're all working specifically to build the right connections, build the right relationships. So that's actually where I want to start because I think it's really important for people to understand how you and I got connected in the first place because it's kind of a little mini clinic on how to network with people. So how did we actually get to know each other in the first place? Yeah, so we met on one of your Fitness and Post hikes in Griffith Park. And we went up the mountain and down the mountain and, you know, met some other people. And that was the day that I met Natalie, who, Natalie Boshan, your former assistant, who's now an editor, who was helping you out. And that for me was all about getting to know more people here in Los Angeles. I moved to LA about three years ago from New York and made a big transition in life in general coming out here. And so that was, that was how we met. It was about me trying to meet more people. Yeah. And the, the, the point that I want to make here is that you weren't saying to yourself, I need to go find an editor at a networking event and I need to hand him my business card and my resume and my demo reel on a website and say, I would love to be considered for future opportunities. You said, hey, this guy's doing a hike. So I'm going to go outside and I'm going to say hello. And I remember you being at two or three of those hikes. And I vaguely remember it now because it was a while ago. But you just kind of kept showing up and you were friendly and you asked some questions and we got to know each other a little bit. But it wasn't like you were hiking next to me and really trying to push yourself for an opportunity or talk about all of your accolades or say, hey, look at me. I'm so great. You should pay attention to me. It was just about genuinely being a real person and us connecting as people. And it took a little while. Um, but obviously, it got you to uh, an area of the industry where you eventually wanted to get. So I think that um, even though we're going to be talking a lot about uh, this transition that you've been making from being a, uh, an editor in reality and in docuseries, and I want you to talk about that a little bit, the idea is that you're trying to figure out, or you were at the time when we were working the coaching program, one of the main things that we were focused on was transitioning from where you were to getting into the world of scripted and how we can design the path to make that happen. And the question that so many people have when they get to the stage in your career where you are at, and again, you can expand upon where you started and what your career path was. So many people will say, well, at your age or at your level of experience, you can't be an assistant. That's just the worst way to do it. And you're going to look bad and it's never going to work for you. You have to be an editor. And then other people say, well, you can't make a transition into scripted and just be an editor right away. You have to be an assistant. Everybody thinks they have the right answer. And guess what? Nobody has the right answer because everybody's path is unique. And that's what you and I worked on for so long is trying to figure out what is the path going to look like for you because your definition of success is different than somebody else's. The life that you're living is different than somebody else's. Your personal needs, your needs for your family, for everything else, that's going to be different than somebody else. And we spent a lot of time deliberating that. 
So I want to get to that point. But first, could you give us a little bit of background of what your life looked like professionally when you and I first found each other? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think I'm, I'm uniquely qualified to, to speak to that because I've seen the issue from both sides. I have seen it as I can't take a step back. I have seen it from a point of it's not going to work for me financially. And then I've eventually come around and say, well, this is actually the only way that I, I see it working. And so I, I do feel like I've gone through a complete evolution in that sense. So I can, I can see it from all sides. So when we met uh, where I was professionally, again, I had just moved from New York. I think maybe it was six months later. I can't really remember. But I had been cutting television documentaries and a little bit of reality for, I would say, a good eight, nine years, something like that. And that was all going great. Uh, before that, um, I was working in scripted. I had assisted on a couple of films. I had cut my own feature, and that had a couple of names in it. And how I went from working in scripted to then taking a big detour into reality and unscripted is sort of a major turning point in my life where I was very happy working in scripted, but it became something that I couldn't sustain financially anymore. I couldn't live on the $100 a day that I was getting paid in New York to work on scripted stuff. And at that moment, sort of at that moment where I made the transition, another big life event happened. Someone very close to me um, came down with a, a life-threatening disease. And that is not something I dwell on, but it's something that really affected me in a way that I said, okay, look, like I have to have health insurance. I can't live on this $100 a day. I can't live on this pretend health insurance. And so friends of mine at the time were making TV documentaries and, and making livable wages. And they said, hey, come on over here and you know, we're doing this. And it's, you know, it's still storytelling and documentary. And I love storytelling and I love documentary. It's, you know, I love storytelling is why I'm an editor. And around the same time, I met the person that I wanted to marry. I'm very fortunate that I met the person who is you know, the person for me. And she wanted to go to law school. And so I helped out with supporting us while she went to law school and we got married and we had two kids. And then cut to 10 years later, here I am getting back to what I really want to do. So financial considerations have always been part of the equation for me. Well, and somehow you obviously found a way to make it work because I remember one of the very, very early conversations that we have, and I was just going back through my old session notes. And my Lord, I didn't realize how long ago it was that you and I started working together, but it was August of 2017. Yeah. Um, so it's been like a year and a half since you and I started. And you were in my very, very first beta round before I even knew what I was doing. And to be honest, I'm still not sure I know what the hell I'm doing. I always feel like I'm winging it. Uh, so for anybody listening, that's like, oh, I have imposter syndrome. It's like, well, me too. Because um, I feel the same way where it's like, really, I'm doing this thing. But anyway, the point is that um, we started in August of 2017. You were one of the very, very first beta members. I think you were actually maybe member number two that signed up. And I remember there was a lot of hesitation and fear where at that time, you didn't come to me saying, I am confidently sure that my path includes me becoming an assistant editor on scripted television. We spent a lot of time deliberating, is that the right choice or is that the wrong choice? And like I said in the beginning, there isn't a right answer. There's just the right answer for you. 
So let's kind of do a, a flashback, so to speak, rewind the clock to August of 2017. And I know that might not be the easiest thing to do because so much has changed since then. Um, but come to me with all of the fears that you had about whether or not you should make this transition to assisting or if you should try to break through the wall and just become an editor and scripted right off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. So I knew I wanted to be inscripted. I knew that I wanted to work on the kind of content that I connect with, that I really enjoy. So the, the passion was always there, the desire was always there. But as we know, in this industry, there's just not a, a set path. And so I was trying to figure out how to do that. And we went through the entire process that we went through working on things, refining my website, uh, working on outreach, working on um, networking. Even when we finished that program, I still was not ready to say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to take a step back to be an assistant. The roadblocks that were in my way were financial, which was legitimate, you know, still is legitimate. I had to figure out a way to, to rearrange everything in my life and make some sacrifices to be able to live on a lot less money. And then there was absolutely a, a pride factor as well, where I would say, you know, I fought very hard back in New York to rise out of the, the in-house editor, assistant editor position that I was at at a, at a production company and to go freelance and to become an editor. And all of that push and all of that drive and saying no to things and really pursuing that chair was really healthy for me in a way and allowed me to establish myself in, um, in the beginning of, of my career in that sense. But at the same time, some of that rigidity closed me off to other paths that might help me get there faster, that might help me get to the place that I wanted to be in a better way. So it's interesting how the desire and the drive can be, uh, there's two sides to that coin. The one that I really want to pull out here is the word pride. Because when it comes to the financial part of it, this is very legitimate for a lot of people. If you're 24 years old and you've got a one bedroom apartment and maybe you have a small car payment, you don't have a mortgage, you don't have kids, like my God, take whatever work fulfills you. It doesn't matter if it pays you $1,000 a day or $100 a day. Do work that's gonna help you build your resume, that builds your network of connections. Like just go out there and make the choices that are gonna take you down the path you wanna get to have a creatively fulfilling career. When you're at the age that you and I are, and you know, you're know you on the, the other side of 40 and I'm creeping up on 40 in a few months, so we're not spring chickens anymore and we have houses and we have kids, it's much harder to say, I'm gonna pursue my dreams because then you look at your bank account and then your wife looks at your bank account and you're like, uh, no, not gonna happen. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm in that position right now where I've had to very reluctantly turn down several very high profile scripted TV opportunities because I want to pursue my next dream and what I believe to be the next phase of my life, which is show running and directing documentaries and documentary series. So I have to make sacrifices to make that happen. So it's not like I kind of remember what it was like being in this position 15 years ago. I feel this right now. I know this pain. Um, so the financial part is very real. But the part that nobody wants to talk about or that very few want to talk about is the pride part. And that comes from our culture of people saying, well, once you're an editor, you can't go back because then people are just going to look at you the wrong way and they're going to think less of you and they're going to disrespect you because you took that step backwards. So let's just, you know, no holds barred, talk about the elephant in the room of how this affects your pride and the way that people view you in this industry because that can sometimes be the hardest hurdle to get over. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so much easier for me now to see it from the other side now that I have busted through that. But there's a lot of resistance and a lot 
lot of that resistance is based upon fear and the fear of this will hurt my chances to succeed because of perception. And, you know, I'm someone who has done a lot of on my own self-development work and and just tried to get other people's perspectives uh, on, on how to improve myself, how to keep myself healthy. And one of the most interesting things that I ever came across, I think it really applies to this uh, situation that I'm in and that a lot of people are in. And the saying is, nobody cares. Like nobody really cares about much more than what they have going on. So whether you are, you know, at a bar by yourself, whether you are taking a step back as an assistant, whatever it is that you're doing, as long as you believe in it and you're passionate about it, nobody else cares. All they really see is your mood, is your positivity, is your belief in your direction. So, you know, in terms of how you're going to be perceived, you have to ask yourself why you're doing it in the first place. And you have to ask yourself, is this the best way to get to where I want to go? And when you and I were working together, we did a lot of really good work to, to shape me in that direction. But when we finished after the 12-week program, I still wasn't there yet. I still needed a couple more months of perspective. And I talked to a couple of, of other editors and I thought about it. And some, some of the people you know, uh, you know uh, Joaquin, um, and then some other editors on some, on some features and, you know, I finally came to the point a couple months later, I said, you know, I just have to give this a try because I don't see a different way forward for myself. So why not give it a shot? And someone, some bigger name people that I had, I had talked to, I needed, you know, I had your perspective and I also needed, I needed additional perspective. And, you know, some people just said, you know, just, just go ahead, just do it, just try it. Like I know people who've done it at this age, uh, you know, older than you and, and, and it worked out for them great and just give it a shot. You know, what do you have to lose? Um, and then I finally came back to you and I said, you know what? I said, I'm, I'm ready to, to give this a try. And I, first I talked to my wife and just said, hey, this is what this will mean financially. And it took us a couple of weeks to really work on uh, the mechanics of that and you know, what that was going to mean on a week-to-week basis and a month-to-month basis. You know, when you're talking about editors specifically, you know, the great thing about editors is most editors that you are going to meet are supporting themselves. You know, you, when it comes to writers and producers, you know, it's a little bit more vague in terms of are they completely supporting themselves, so on and so forth. A lot of them are. A lot of them have pulled themselves up from, from way less than, than I ever had. But when you meet an editor, you're meeting someone who is supporting themselves for the most part. That's, that's what I have found every time. And so, you know, once we got through the mechanics of that, you know, and, and I got back to you and I said, look, I'm, I'm ready to, to, to step onto this path and, and to see where it leads. And you said, that's great. And I'll help in any way that I can. And, you know, it wasn't until, you know, six or seven months later that I had an opportunity for a tryout uh, with you a little bit later. But um, that was that was sort of a roadmap of my process. My sincerest apologies for the interruption. But if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found 
bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. Yeah, well, first of all, I have to say that I'm incredibly offended that you needed other people's perspectives. I'm not sure how I feel about that because mine is the only perspective you should have ever listened to. So I just want to make that very clear. The takeaway that I want to get from here that I think is interesting is the why, right? The big moment that I felt that you had the transition was not necessarily, well, I want to do this or I want to do that or you know, I've, I've done the finances. It was the confidence. I just, I saw the shift where I don't remember if it was a Slack message or a conversation or whatever it was, but there was always this hesitation in all 12 weeks of our sessions. And even afterwards, when you would follow up or ask a question or whatever, but then all of a sudden I could just sense it. It was, this is what I'm doing. And once you made the commitment, that's when everything changed. And I see that in my life as well. It's actually one of the parallels that I've seen with American Ninja Warrior where it's kind of like, and I'm going to use this analogy and you'll find it funny in the audience, might, but this is a, a Mr. Miyagi analogy. It's where, you know, if you can train karate, yes, right side road. You can train karate, no, left side road. Train karate, okay, maybe guess so. In the middle of road, get squished like great, right? It's all about that level of commitment. With Ninja Warrior, for a long time, it was, oh, this looks kind of cool. Maybe I'll try it. Maybe I'll exercise. Maybe I'll run a Spartan race. But the day that I said, this is what I'm doing, my entire life changed. The way that I approached not just exercise and diet and sleep and everything else, but just who I was as a person changed. And I took on this identity, this outward identity that other people saw me as, you're the guy training for American Ninja Warrior. I haven't even been on the show. I haven't even achieved what I ultimately wanted to achieve, but it's completely changed my life just because I committed to it. And I could just sense that from you where that commitment came and you're like, I'm going to be an assistant editor and scripted. There was no more hesitation. And as soon as that happened, everything started to come together for you. Yeah. And it, and it really was about the what? Why am I doing this? I'm doing this because eventually I want to be an editor in scripted television. And that path is, is out there for me. And I've got to keep moving forward on that path. And as someone who, who has switched over to being an assistant from being an editor, I, mean, I can tell you that 
again, the philosophy of nobody cares absolutely holds true. People want to see people in the business, people out of the business, people in your personal life or professional life. They want to see that you are engaged, that you're positive. Nobody really cares if you are the executive producer of the Avengers, if you're miserable. You know, nobody, nobody cares whatever you do. They just want to know that you feel like you are on your path. And that's, that has absolutely been the case for me uh, personally and professionally. And my family is completely supportive. Um, The people that I work with in in scripted have been completely supportive of my path. I've never felt, you know, judgment for taking a step back to go forward. You know, in fact, the people that I've met in, in scripted have only tried to help move me forward. And that's based on obviously on doing a good job on being a good listener on doing all the things that it takes to, to be a good assistant. But people really will support you if you're coming from an, an authentic place, if you're coming from a place where you're adding value and you are contributing uh, to the environment. In my experience, you're going to find nothing but support on the other side. Yeah, that, that level of authenticity is so key because if you're confident about the choice that you've made in the direction that you're going, then people are going to admire that because so few other people have that confidence and that level of authenticity. Uh, and I think that one of the, the things about your journey and kind of your circumstance that was somewhat unique is that when you came to me originally and said, should I be an editor in scripted or should I be an assistant editor in scripted? It wasn't an easy answer for me. Generally, I can look at somebody's path, look at their resume, their body of experience and say, you know what? I'm pretty confident you're going to want to go in this direction. There are other people in our group networking program where I'm like, yep, this is definitely the direction you need to go. With you, I wasn't sure about that because you had so much good experience as an editor and it technically wasn't scripted, but you were doing narrative material that was weaved within the unscripted material. So if you had just been doing Survivor for 10 years or you had been doing Amazing Race or something and say, well, and and again, I want to make sure I'm not making it sound like, oh, they're less of an editor. Those guys are amazing editors and I would never want to do that kind of work because it's really involved and there's, there's there's a whole lot to it. But at the same time, it's a very different language that they have to speak. So if I were just to look at somebody that had done 15 years of competition shows, I'd say it's not a one-to-one translation where I can automatically tell you'd be a great fit to edit scripted material. But with your stuff, it was close enough. I was like, eh, I mean, you kind of could go right into editing. It's a little tougher to, to figure it out. It just wasn't a clear-cut answer. Um, so that was one of the tough things that I think for some people they're in that same place. But then for others, it's kind of obvious where there are some people that have so much editing experience that I'd say, I don't think assisting is going to make sense for you. And then there are other people that really want to go right to editing, but you look at their body of work and you're like, I just don't see it. I think you're going to have to suck it up and you're going to have to be an assistant editor for a couple of years. But with you going back to where we started, it was this idea of you were confident about that choice. And an example would be that we had numerous conversations. I mean, we always have what I call like our our little fireside chats in the morning. Um, I always do that with my assistants where we'll sit down for 15, 20 minutes, just kind of talk about the world, figure out what is the the day going to look like? What are all the demands upon us? You know, every once in a while, somebody comes in. And especially when you first started, people would say, oh, you know, hey, where'd you come from? What was your last show? And there's a couple of ways you could have gone about it. And I've seen this before where you kind of hang your head and you look down at the floor and you say, well, you know, I did work in reality for a while and, you know, did this and that and the other thing, but, you know, now I'm on this show, right? But with you, there was just this confidence. Well, you know, I, I 
was in New York for 10 years and I worked on a lot of uh, unscripted and docu-series work. And now I've made the, the decision that I want to jump into scripted and this was the best way to do it. And I was like, damn, like that's a confident answer. And a lot of that came from our work together, frankly, in that it's really important, one thing that you helped me a lot with, to say, this is what I am, not what I am trying to be. So, so I did a lot of work to make sure that when I talked to people, I would say, I am transitioning to scripted. My background is X, Y, Z, but this is what I am. This is what I'm doing. And never, it's, I guess it's that whole karate, no, karate, yes, karate, you know, in the middle gets squished. It's not, I'm trying, it's not, I'm hoping it's, this is what I'm doing. I can describe the actual steps. Like, yes, I'm an assistant right now and I'm on the path to A, B, and C. Um, so that's, that's a very important mind shift set that I needed to internalize. And I feel a lot better having done that. Yeah, that, that's one of the, the core fundamental places to start for everybody. And I had to learn this myself. And I'm still using this to this day with the transition that I'm making. I talk about this a lot more in depth in uh, a podcast that I did with my former assistant editor, Chris Visser. So anybody listening with the first name Chris that has experience, you already have a leg up on working with me someday just by your name. Uh, but the point is, uh, that when he first approached me, I'd never met him before, approached me at EditFest. And he said, you know, I'm interested in getting into the, the scripted space, um, but right now I'm a colorist. And I said, oh, no, no, we're going to stop you right there. You're a colorist that's transitioning into scripted. He's like, what do you mean? It's like, you need to make it very clear who you are and where you're going, right? So it's about dressing for the job that you want, not the job that you have. And the word that I hear all the time, I hear this in almost every one of my introductory uh, coaching calls or the first few weeks. And I can't remember if you and I went through this specifically or not. Maybe you will remember, but uh, I do a lot of these calls now, so they might be blurring together. But the word that I always hear is just. I'm just a reality editor. Mm. I'm just an assistant. And I get this over email all the time where people introduce themselves to me and I stop people right away. I'm like, never use the word just again because you're selling yourself short and you're conveying a lack of confidence. Oh, I'm just an assistant. No, you're not. You're an assistant. And you might be the best assistant on the planet. So don't sell yourself short. And I think that once you made it, because I remember you and I doing some like mock networking, like live networking, because mm -hmm. that was definitely one of your, your areas of weakness, which frankly is everybody's area of weakness in our industry because we're all introverts. And that's why we choose to work in dark rooms by ourselves. <laughs> um, but we had done kind of this mock networking thing. And I remember like approaching you, so to speak. And just kind of asking you who you are and like, hey, what do you do? And the first couple of times it was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm a, a reality editor, kind of been doing docu-series and, you know, I've just been working on this for a while and I'm, the, I'm hoping that I can, uh, you know, find a way into, well, I guess I, it would be maybe scripted. I was like, stop. Yeah. Oh my God. No, no, start over. Like, so do, do you remember that whole process? Oh, absolutely. And it is painful. It's, it is, unfortunately, you know, it's a bit like dating and it is awkward and, you know, confidence is going to carry the day. And if you, if you can't summon the confidence, um, it's going to be harder and harder to make connections. Yeah, and the, the confidence is the the absolute key. I mean, the what, what you and I were working through, and you were on a, in a much earlier, rougher version, um, but we essentially worked through the Focus Yourself program step by step by step. The first part of that, it's a three-unit program. The first unit is Clarity, which you and I worked on. What is the actual goal? Why is it important to you? What are the obstacles in the way? But then the next step, which is the biggest one, is confidence. 
if you don't have the confidence knowing number one, that what you're working towards is the right thing, you're not going to be able to make it happen. But number two, you need to be confident that the next action you're taking or the next project you're completing moves you forwards. Because there's nothing more demoralizing than working your ass off for 80 hours a week. And on Friday night, looking back and saying, did I do anything? Like, am I in anywhere different spot than I was last Friday night? Like, what was the point of that? So the important thing is really designing what does that path look like for you based on all of the clarity that we created to know that, oh, when I do this thing on Thursday morning, it's probably going to suck and I don't want to do it. But when I'm done with it, I'm going to say, yep, I'm one step closer to where I want. Yeah. And it takes practice. It absolutely takes practice. Nothing is going to come easy. You're never going to walk in one door and out another and, and be fully formed. It's hard work. There are no shortcuts, but you can actually, you know, improve on things. You can change things. You can take some of your, you know, abilities and you can amplify them. You can take things that you think are, um, um, disabilities and and turn them into advantages, but it is it's always work worth doing to practice reaching out to people, to practice making connections, and and again connecting on on an authentic level. You know that can be difficult. It's very difficult to connect authentically and and positively when you lack confidence. Yeah, confidence is the secret sauce to everything. And it's not confidence that looks like arrogance. It's not, I'm really good at what I do and you need to know me. It's just this assurance that you're on the right path and this is the networking event that I need to be at or this is the scene that I need to be editing or this is the job that I need to be doing. Even if I'm an assistant, I see the bigger picture. I see the vision. The vision is me in the chair editing a high-profile scripted series but that's not today. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the fact that today I'm in a chair. I'm the assistant editor on Cobra Kai, but I'm still moving forwards and it's getting me closer to the path. And I have found that when you have that confidence and you have that clarity about where you're going, you're so much less stressed at work. I mean, there's still like, you know, the BS about deadlines and people's expectations and politics and everything else. But that larger underlying anxiety and stress just goes away because you feel like, yep, this is what I need to be doing right now. And it's the confidence to hang back a little bit too. It's when you, when you have that confidence, you don't feel like you need to tell that person or the person that you're working with or the person that you're just meeting everything about yourself everywhere you're hoping to go, all of your you know, past, what isn't working for you, you can just get to know someone. And I think that's been, that's been really helpful for me is that every, every interaction that I go into, every new person that I work with, I'm trying to get to know a person first you know, before you know, I hear about what movie they're working on or what show they're working on. It really is about getting to know the person, getting a lot of commonalities out there um, and enjoying yourself and, and, you know, and ha- you know, sharing a laugh, sharing you know, other things before or it really gets into, you know, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm trying to do. What's working for me? What's not working for me? I mean, it's all of this. This is very much a, a you know, this is a people profession. Um, and, and the more you can improve your people skills, uh, the better you will be. People skills in post-production? What are you, <laughs> crazy? We don't, we don't have people skills. Um, yeah, no, I, I couldn't have said it better. And I think that's great. And uh, if I could to kind of, uh, not a tangent, but just kind of a, as an aside, if this were a book, this would be one of those little gray shaded areas with like extra bonus tip. Anybody that's going to networking events, what's the first question going to be? Their first question is always, what are you working on right now? I dare you to go to a networking event next time and do not allow yourself to ask that question. You need to find more creative ways to build relationships with people beyond wanting to know what they're working on because that's the crutch. 
the crowd is, hey, nice to meet you. Yeah, what are you working on right now? What if instead you actually showed interest in them as a human being? There, uh, there's a book that you turned me on to called Give and Take by Adam Grant. Is, that, is it Adam Grant? Am I saying that right? I think um, so, but I actually think you turned me on to that. Oh, did I? If I remember correctly, Eight maybe, years. but yeah, go ahead. So many you've turned me on to. So um, that I can't recommend that book highly enough in terms of understanding the dynamic between, you know, there are people who take, there are people who give, and then there's that in-between category, which is called matchers, I think. As it turns out, the people who give of their time, who give of their you know, emotional energy, who give of their, their resources, always end up doing better in the long game. And Adam Grant, a PhD, can say it a lot better than I can, but it is, it's a way that feels good to connect with people. And it's, it's actually a very successful way to get where you want to go. So, you know, giving of your time, asking questions, you know, finding out about what the other person, you know, who the other person is before you're trying to find out, you know, what they do and how they can help you is really the only way to move forward, I think, in this business. Because this, this business in particular is full of really smart, hardworking people. And people can smell immediately when you are coming on to them and trying to get something. I think that people don't necessarily go into interactions trying to get something, but they don't know what else to talk about. So it becomes very transactional in a sense. People start like, oh, hey, here's my card. This is what I'm working on. If you hear of anything, you know, let me know and I'll let you know. And I mean, those types of interactions never produce lasting connections. And certainly in both sides of the business, in scripted and in unscripted that I've worked in, it's only those lasting connections. It's only when you work with someone, when you meet someone that you genuinely like, that that relationship is, is likely to continue in a good way. And I think that anybody listening can think back on their own experiences and see that that is true about 99% of the time. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat, and I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Yeah, if this had been a video podcast, you would have seen me physically cringe as you were describing the person that was handing out their business card and saying, <laughs> I would love to be considered. Whether that's in-person networking, whether that's somebody sending an email with a resume attached and you never talked to them before, please just stop doing that. 
build relationships with people, play the long game and be willing to be patient because that's where the money is. And I don't say money is in the physical money. Like that's the money spot. That is the sweet spot. You build these relationships over time and it's like planting seeds. I grew up on a farm. So I like farming analogies. So I, uh, you know, forgive me in advance, but you plant the seeds in the spring it's not like you walk out the next day and you start to see stuff. You wait months. You have nothing there. It's a field of dirt and it's a field of dirt and it's a field of dirt. And then all of a sudden you wake up three, four months later and you're like, oh my God, there's a foot of grass out there. Or there's a foot of hay or there's a foot of corn or whatever it is. And then a month later, it's eight feet high. It goes like crazy, but the curve is not linear. And it works the same way when you're building relationships. You have to plant a lot of seeds and for a while they might not germinate, but then all of a sudden, all of it starts to take over and you're in this position of, oh my God, I'm getting three job offers this week. What do I do, right? But it takes a while to get there. And that's kind of where I want to transition now is I want to talk a little bit deeper about networking and the work that we have done in our advanced group because this is a whole nother level and this is brand new to me. So once again, you're one of my guinea pigs in another, uh, another alpha experiment, but I feel like it's gone incredibly well. When I walked into it and I even told everybody that was in it, I said, I have no idea how this is going to work. I don't know if it's going to work at all, if it's going to be worth your time or your money, but let's figure it out. And I feel like, I think it's been like 13 or 14 weeks and now it's just going like gangbusters. So what I would love is from your perspective, rather than me trying to explain it and trying to sell it, because that's not what I'm trying to do, talk about from your perspective, the value that you're seeing in this. You've graduated, so to speak. You're out in the real world and you're figuring all this out, flapping your own wings, so to speak. So I just want to talk about what that process has been like and also what some of the, the things are that you've gotten out of this group program now that we're working as multiple people moving each other forward rather than just the two of us. Yeah, absolutely. So in our new networking group, one of the things that uh, we've been working a lot on a lot is interviews. And we worked on connecting and interviews the first time that we worked together. But this has been sort of an ongoing uh, and evolving thing for me. Um, and I have had some interviews while we've been working together this second time that haven't gone so well. Um, and we've workshopped them. Uh, and I've gotten the benefit of, of listening to other people and how their interviews are going and preparing for their upcoming interviews. And then being able to solidify you know, some of that some of that takeaway uh, and using it in, in my own, um, you know, new interviews and new upcoming approach. And it's worked out successfully for me in that I have been able to, to work on the things that I still need to improve upon. I mean, it really is a, you know, getting better at this, you know, changing, basically changing careers is, is a big shift. And so it requires, a lot of attention to detail and a lot of... Well, the, the other thing, I don't mean to, to interrupt you, but I think that the, the other thing that I found, and this maybe I don't think that I had this issue with you, but I certainly had it with a few other people that were in the private group, is they would say, well, after working together for the, the 10 to 12 weeks of the program, they would land their, their first job or whatever the, the goal was. And I would say, well, I would love if you would continue the work and we could do the advanced networking. And they would say, but I'm, I'm good. Like I, I landed this gig. I'm like, no, no, this is about the much bigger picture. This isn't just about I landed a job. It's about how do you make sure that that job leads to the next right job, which leads to the next right job. And not only that, but in the networking group, and I didn't even foresee this, but we've actually been helping each other 
through the issues and the politics of being in these jobs. So for example, um, most recently, and I'm super, super excited to talk about this, both you and Chris Terry, and here we are, this is the third Chris on the show. So clearly there's a prerequisite that your name must be Chris if you're going to work with me. Spelled differently. My real name is Thomas, but I changed it to Chris. Exactly. So I I did a, a podcast, a case study earlier this year with Chris Terry, and I will put a link to that in the show notes if anybody wants to listen. Um, but she was also making the transition from the reality world, very experienced doing reality shows, um, getting into the scripted world and worked for months and months and months trying to break through, trying to build relationships, just didn't seem to be getting anywhere. And then all of a sudden an opportunity came up. While we were in the group, we were talking to her about how do you prep for the interview and how are you going to get ready for this? And we all discovered, and I say this with all the love in the world, I'm sure she would agree that she just wasn't ready for this interview. So we all banded together as a team to prepare her for this interview. She ended up walking in there, knocking it out of the park, having a job two days later, and then coming to the next call and saying, oh my God, this is so overwhelming. I have no idea what I'm doing. And once again, we band together as a team and we find the best way to get her through it. And we've also done the same with you. And you learned a lot from her journey and applied it to yours, which leads us to the next step that I'm excited to announce, which is you now have your next job on a high-profile scripted show. So let's talk about that. Sure, yeah. So, and, and a little bit of the process and how to get there. So, I mean, I, I mean it really is, you know, for lack of a better term, it, it's a force multiplier, being able to work on my own things that aren't going so well. Because, I mean, that's what work is. You're not working on the stuff that's going great. It's not a group where we sit around and, and just high-five. You know, you, we're working on the stuff that, that needs improvement. And so that is, um, you know, there's natural difficulty built into that, but it's so worth doing. I had an interview for a high profile show that didn't go great. So I was told afterwards, I got a call from the producer afterwards that said, oh, you know, you are our our second choice, such a close second. And the person that we hired, you know, actually speaks uh, the language that this show is shot in. Uh, It's not shot in in, in English, um, but still they, you know, they were so close to hiring me, so on and so forth. And so everything went really well, supposedly, but I still didn't get the job, you know, and I still felt that. And I still felt like there was a lot that I could have done to assure them that I was the right person for the job, but I just wasn't coming in with, uh, with, with a planned approach in, into the interview. And so that stung for a while because I, that show you know, would have really, I, I know I would have enjoyed it. I know I would have been good on it. Uh, I know it would have been good for me. And so we took that uh, and we worked with, you know, how do I turn that around? How do I do things differently? How do I come into an interview and address the elephant in the room? And how do I say, you know, right away, hey, even though I might not have all of this on my resume, X, Y, and Z, I'm still a great fit for this because of A, B, and C. And to really focus on the things that will make me a great fit. And, and all of that prep went into uh, to Chris Terry's uh, interview as well. And then I went into my next interview uh, that came up and I was just ready. I was ready to talk about five different things. I was ready to hit the elephant in the room first. Uh, and talk about all the other reasons why I would be a great fit for the job. I had been put up uh, by the editor. You know, it was his recommendation. I had to meet with the producer. Um, and I was meeting with the producer. And, you know, right away, she hit me with the elephant. And I was ready to, uh, to take down, you know, the elephant and did. And then, boom, it was over. She just said, okay, I'm going to send your resume to the studio. And it just needs to get approved. But everything should be fine after that. Um, a week later, I got the call that, that I'd gotten the job. 
And so that felt really good to be able to, again, take something that was a, uh, a weak point and turn it into a strength. This is one of the areas that I love going into is the psychology of interviews. It wasn't really something that I even thought about that much when I was putting this group together. It was more, oh, I want to bring everybody together and we're going to work on networking techniques and it'll be fun. But then it got to the point where multiple people were on interviews. I'm like, oh, okay, now we're going to dive into the psychology of this. Um, and I can't go into it super, super deep, but I do kind of want to give the the philosophy that I shared with both of you. The guy, and it was so amazing where, again, this idea of planting seeds and nothing happening for a while, to just see it happen to both of you the same week was just awesome. Like I... Seriously, as soon as I got the Slack messages from both of you that you got jobs, I was like jumping up and down. It was, just, it was like somebody told me like, like I was going to have another kid or something. <laughs> um, so like when, when I tell you guys that I'm invested in your success, like I got so excited about that and I'm still on a high because of it. But anyway, the, the point is that the, the fundamental thing that we talked about just to give away kind of the, the biggest insight that we worked on, and we had to go much deeper than just the insight, but it was the fundamental paradigm shift that you don't go into a job interview saying, look at me, here's why I'm so good at what I do. This is something that I actually talked about extensively in my previous interview with the Cobra Kai creators and how I got that job. Instead, you need to ask yourself the question, what is the number one problem that this person needs to solve and how am I the best solution to their problem? If you go into a job interview with that mindset, you will blow people away because everybody else that they meet is all about talking about themselves. Here's who I am. Here's my experience. Here's what I'm good at. Here's why I would quote unquote be a good fit. They hear that from everybody. But if you walk in there and say, I understand your problem and I'm the solution, holy cow, are they going to listen? And, and also when we're talking about the elephant in the room, that's the part that everybody's scared of. So for you, the elephant was... Not enough experience. Not enough experience. Walking into a very high profile scripted show and then looking at the piece of paper and saying, huh, you've done reality for 10 years and I see you've done what? One other scripted show? You didn't walk in thinking, oh my God, I hope they don't see that and I hope they think I'm okay. You're like, no. I'm going to confidently go in and say, I know this is a problem, but here's why it isn't a problem. And here's why it's actually an asset to you. So how did you do that? What I did was I talked about the experience that we had working together. I talked very specifically about how when I am working on a show that it is essentially mix ready by the time editor's cut is done, that we work super hard to make sure that the dialogue is perfectly normalized, that all of the background sounds are in, that the hard sound effects are in, that everything is there even before you would expect it. I went in saying, I can do the work and I can do it to a level that, you know, that exceeds your expectations, essentially. So I set you know, a very high expectation and understanding, really turning turning around the perspective. What is this producer worried about? This producer is worried about, is worried that television is so fast that this assistant who doesn't have a lot of, of television experience won't be able to keep up. So I go right in and talk about how I'm used to working in a fast environment. My experience is a benefit. You know, I've done this before. I know what, what I have to do. And I do it confidently. And that is essentially what gives her the reassurance that I am someone who will take responsibility for those parts of the process. I'm not just a good person who deserves the job only because I'm passionate about the series, which I am passionate about the series. And I took pains to you know, explain that as well. Um, but that I take responsibility for my job 
and that you know it will be done the best that it possibly can be done and that if there are pieces that I haven't done before that we will figure them out that we will attack the workflow and get it done and make her life easier how my entire approach to going into an interview now is demonstrating to the person who's in the position to hire how am I going to make your life easier? This is how I'm going to make it so that you don't have to worry about what's coming out of my department. Because anybody that is looking to hire you, that's kind of the big question in the back of their minds. Is this person going to make my life easier? Or is this person going to require me to stop down, change what I'm doing, slow down and plug in the energy drain? Are they going to need you know, me to help them constantly? Am I going to have to do their job for them? Am I going to have to make allowances for them? Or are they going to just not have to not worry about that part of the environment? And so you really want to be on the latter side of that. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic insight. Are they going to make my life easier or are they going to make my life harder? It is really that simple. And if I could kind of leave somebody with one final takeaway that wants a tidbit about how to nail an interview that goes even a little bit deeper than this idea of don't talk about you talk about your understanding of their problem and how you can be their solution. What you want to think about is what is the outcome that this person desires, right? You're selling yourself. So this is no different than selling a product. So just think of yourself as a salesman. You're the product and you want to close the sale. If you can give them the outcome they want, that's all they care about. So the the example that I love from the sales world is that you don't walk into a hardware store to buy a drill. You walk into a hardware store because you need a hole in the wall. The outcome is the hole in the wall or the screw or whatever the drill provides. But so many people are focused on saying, well, here are all the features that I have on my drill that are so much better. I just want a hole in the wall. Do you have all of the features that get me the hole in the wall that I desire? So if I'm a producer or if you're an assistant that's interviewing with an editor or you're an editor that's interviewing with a director or a showrunner, what's the outcome that they desire? And if you can understand that outcome and you can demonstrate to them why you're the best person to get that desired outcome, then it's a slam dunk. And you walk onto the interview with them saying, make sure you keep your calendar open. We want to, we want to make sure that you're available and here are the dates that you start and can we lock it in now? Yeah. And that's because you're not so focused on me, me, me. Here's why I'm great. Because it's not about that. It's about you solving their problem and giving them the outcome that they desire. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I want to be very respectful of your time. Um, I have one final question. And obviously the, the whole theme here is in general you know, to assist or not to assist, that is the question. And your journey was very specific in that we decided together and you ultimately decided on your own that going the assistant route makes the most sense. In part two of this podcast series, I talk with another editor that has extensive assistant work and editing work that made the opposite distinction and said, I am done assisting. The only path for me is editing. So we're going to go much deeper into that idea, looking at it from a very different perspective. But before we go uh, to that second part of that interview, what I'd love to ask you is if somebody were coming to you that heard this podcast, they approach you at a networking meetup, and this may actually happen. um, And they're like, listen, I'm at a a fork in the road with my own journey. I can't figure out which direction to go. If you give one good piece of advice to somebody where they should start, if they're stuck in the fork of the road, they don't know which way to go, what would you tell them? I would would tell them to ask themselves, you know, why they want to do what they want to do. That will tell them, am I doing this because I want to do this? Am I doing this because 
somebody else thinks that I should do this? Am I doing this because it makes me happy or because other people think it's cool or because other people think it's prestigious? Ask yourself why you're doing something in the first place and that will tell you which path you should take. That will tell you which direction that you need to go um, to be satisfied, to be fulfilled. So start by asking yourself why you're doing what you're doing. And then, and then once you get an answer, ask yourself the question why again. And then you'll get down to the fundamentals and that will be a compass for you that tells you what direction to go in. Yeah, I couldn't have said it any better myself. You are never going to go wrong asking yourself the deeper why. Um, anybody that wants to go much deeper into the why, I will actually put a link in the show notes to a podcast interview that I did with David Mead, who is the co-author of the book, Find Your Why, and his writing partners with Simon Sinek, who is essentially known as the world's foremost expert on defining and finding your why. So I'll make sure that that link is in there. That's also something that I work on extensively in the coaching program when we go through that interview and go through all the various steps of that process. Um, but unfortunately, we are out of time and you have work and I have work and I want to make sure we can uh, both not get fired today because boy, would that be a crazy end to this story. <laughs> um, so could you let the audience know real quick if they wanted to see your work or connect with you or find you on social or your website or wherever, where can people connect with you? Yeah, my website is chriscavanaugh.net and you can put a link to that in the show notes. And you can email me through my website. I'm happy to chat with whomever. Awesome. Well, this has been a sincere pleasure. I uh, wish you the best of luck as you embark on your next project. I'm very jealous that somebody else gets to work with you and it's not me, but that's my fault. Um, so I can't blame you for that, but I'm, uh, I'm glad that you get to go out into the world and experience more shows and work with more people and build your own network. And that's fantastic. So it's, it's been a pleasure working with you so far, and I'm sure that uh, it has just begun. So thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Zach. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I wanna make sure that you've subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even gonna send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.